we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we have traveled through dangers untold and hardships unnumbered. We have fought our way here to the castle beyond the Goblin City to take yeah. back the child which you have stolen. That's right, Internet. We are going to talk about villains. And that is the best way to start talking about villains because, well, who can't love Jareth? Uh, I'm sorry, what, babe? The babe. Uh, the you are my babe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. The power of voodoo. Hoodoo? Voodoo. You do what? <laughs> and the delay of the internet is messing up the rhythm on this, so please forgive us, people out there listening. But know that we, we swear know. we're fans. We swear we're fans. <laughs> oh man, it was it, you know. I, I love internet. I love recording uh, over vast distances. But man, I you know, thinking about villains, you know, you have to have for every hero, you have to have a good villain as their counterfoil, and. Is and I'm just thinking, okay, how do I start the show? And I'm just like, oh man, that that opening dialogue from Labyrinth is a great way to start it because you know, our hero Sarah shows up and she's talking to an owl that she believes is the Goblin King, and you know later we find out it's you know the Goblin King is really David Bowie with this giant bulge in his pants and these crystal balls he can fling around his hands and. We just continue uh, to love him more and more as that movie goes on, even though as an adult, you look back and it's kind of creepy. He's hitting oh, on a 14-year-old girl. What the heck? But before, it's okay. Uh, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Allison. I was, was going to say, and before anybody starts furiously typing an email away to us, talking about how David Bowie didn't actually do the contact juggling. You're we right. Know, we, we know. We know. That. We know. Believe us, we exist we know. in this world. There was a guy behind him with his hands. I've seen the documentaries. It the still level, looked cool, though. The level of puppetry in that movie oh uh, just was insane, including the puppeting of humans, right? Yes. I mean, um, fantastic movie. Uh, I still, every now and then, will, you know, say something uh, that Sir Didymus says Fight for the right, then fight is one! <laughs> I know, love Sir Didymus. Didymus is one of my favorite characters that came out of that movie. And, you know, Ludo, Ludo's a little weird. Uh, I'll get it. He's slow. He's lumbering. He's the big giant. But you can't knock Fart Rock Bridge. You know, I know that's not his name, but that's what I always called it as a kid. You know, <laughs> and, and it's Bog of Eternal Stench. Everybody knows exactly what you're talking about I when know, you say that. I know. And you're absolutely right. Like, I, I actually saw Labyrinth in theaters as a kid. Yep. I had the lunchbox with the thermos. Uh, I I super love that movie to this day. What and was it like before color, Krebs? Yipes. <laughs> actually, <laughs> all, all joking aside, the, I remember distinctly being in the movie theater and seeing that CG owl for the first time, and oh, yeah. my mind just about shot out the back of my head. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and not only that, just like the puppets and they had like the giant thing that came out of the wall when they closed the gates and you're just like, what the heck? No, no, that can't be a puppet, but it is, it's a giant puppet and you can't tell, you know, they did such a good flawless job that you really can't tell a lot of the time when it's blue screened or green screened and stuff like that. Um, because it was flawless. Now, granted, the weird bird things in the forest, yes, you could definitely tell that was green screen. Um, but beyond that, 
it was fantastic. The puppets were amazing. The dialogue was... Yeah, you're right. It, it hasn't aged as well, but it was good. It was good. In, in the time period it was made, man, it was just stunning. Uh, and on top of that, I just looked this up because I, in my head I was about to say, oh, wow, did this uh, – folks at home, you don't know this. We have a different prompt we're going to talk about tonight. But um, I was like, wow, did this just become like a Labyrinth anniversary episode? Almost. It, it ends up Labyrinth was released uh, four days ago, 35 – or 34. Uh, I'm sorry, 34 years ago? 34 oh, wow. years ago. That's just a lucky coincidence. Four days. Maybe yeah, that's yeah. why that quote was in my head. Um, <laughs> it's an amazing movie. I love that movie. Uh, 34 years old. Yeah. And it's still great. Uh -oh. And it's still great. The MC Escher sequence, phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Right? So, oh my gosh. I mean, that kind of leads us into our subject, you know, because you have a fantastic villain that. You start liking throughout that movie. You're starting to like this character more and more, and you're you're kind of becoming invested because you start seeing him like he's heartbroken and he just wants the love of this girl. You know, we kind of see that in several other characters. You know, like the Joker, he just wants Batman's attention. That the whole point of his that character is he's going suicidal and crazy because he doesn't care about anyone else. He wants Batman's attention. He wants Batman to crack. Uh, because he sees that he's just as crazy as he is. That's what he believes. Batman's just as crazy as I am. I want him to admit it. You know, and it, and we love that about that character. Maybe I'm just the only one that loves that about that character. Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, we, as we were talking about what we might cover this evening, and we were talking about why is it that we love certain villains, right? And and mm -hmm. not just, oh, I appreciate them. There are certain villains you just hate and and but really excellent villains, the ones that stick with you, you actually love. In fact, I'm glad that you brought up the Joker because he is my number one all-time favorite villain. He is by far my favorite of all time. And um you you bring up a good question of like why is it that we are attracted to that why do we why do we celebrate that you know heath ledger of course is an iconic portrayal of of the joker jack nicholson had an iconic portrayal cesar romero uh you know and, and um and not so much jared leto uh but mark you know, hamill mark mark hamill is by far the best animated joker of all time yeah. hands down if you if you doubt me internet if you doubt me First of all, shame on you. Second of all, um, watch Batman Mask of the Phantasm from 1991, I think it was. And or I don't know, it wasn't 91. It was later than that. But anyway, it was the same year as A Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Uh, but watch Batman Mask of the Phantasm, brilliant animated film that did not get the attention it deserved. And Mark Hamill was divine in that film. But it's not about Mark Hamill and it's not about Heath Ledger. It's about the villain. It's about the source. It's about why does this character – you can look at Cesar Romero. You can look at Jack Nicholson. You can look at Heath Ledger, and you can listen to Mark Hamill, and they all play the Joker differently, all of them. They all have their own spin, and it is still the Joker. I think one of the things that that makes him such an appealing character – you know, Batman – Batman has a mission, and he and 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 his parents' death was the initial catalyst. And no matter what happens, he keeps getting up. And we've talked about heroes and and who why we love heroes and why they're so important to us. But I think the reason that the Joker works so well in that chemistry 
is because the Joker has a clarity of purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's the clown prince of crime. Uh, he knows he knows Batman is his soulmate. He knows that we often use that term in a romantic sense, but um, that the concept of soulmates comes from like way, 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 way back in the day, uh, ancient Greece and all that stuff. The idea that when the gods made humans, that um, the gods shaped them out of clay and then snapped them into two corresponding pieces and set them abroad in on the world. And then when you find your matching clay piece, that's your soulmate. Uh, Joker and Batman our soulmates and he that brilliant line in Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight where Joker says I believe we're fated to do this for eternity and you know and, and those who have done any research know that it was not Christopher Nolan's intent to snuff out the Joker after one movie which has long been my gripe of superhero movies oh look there's a villain oh look it's dead oh look another movie yeah. another villain oh look it's dead you know um he was going to keep the Joker around, and unfortunately, Heath Ledger passed away. And there was – you can't replace Heath no. Ledger in that role. No. It can't be done. So so they had to take a different direction. But um, but Joker says, I, I think we are fated to do this for eternity. And if you if you watch if – you, if you read the comic books, if you read the graphic novels, if you watch the movies, the Joker always presents himself as madness. But he is absolutely in control at all times and because he has that clarity because he is not distracted because he is that perfect storm we find that the the little insanity in us is drawn to him the little malevolence in us is drawn to him we can vicariously experience our own sort of darker desires that we would never do oh we would never do that but there's like this strange darkness in us that appreciates that the joker can do it with such our artistic perfection and that it's always part of his perfect mission, which is to constantly maintain balance with Batman. That's his mission. His mission is to always make sure that Batman is not the only force in the universe. Yeah. I mean, uh, I know a lot of people would argue that Joker is chaotic evil, you know, and, and that in itself, that doesn't fit because you're right. He is very in control. He knows he plans, he orchestrates. It's not he just runs into a you know bank and starts blowing stuff up. He has a very set plan of what's going to happen. And it's to draw Batman out. It's to engage Batman to draw him further into the mousetrap or down the rabbit hole. Um, I would so, I would say he's more of a, a neutral evil. You know, there is still some chaos in him, but he is definitely more lawful than chaotic. Interesting that you should say that. So one of the one of the big problems that I actually have with D&D is the concept of the Holy Nine. For those of you who have not played Dungeons and Dragons or most role playing games, we have this beautiful tic-tac-toe grid and left to right, you have lawful, neutral and chaotic and top to bottom, you have good, neutral and evil. And so based on which section you are in, right, it's considered one of the nine primary alignments. But I feel like there's a lot of nuance that gets lost in that. Yeah. Um, Usually when people say that Joker is chaotic evil, it's because they are speaking to his disrespect or disregard for the law. Yeah, Um, I agree. But uh, the 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 chaos that he manifests is controlled chaos. He isn't just doing something because in the whim of the moment it feels like the thing to do. He always thinks through and plans out and 
you know, has backups to backups to backups. But the whole point of it very much to your points, um, gentlemen, is, is that he is driving to be that foil to Batman mm-hmm. and to create that tension that even if we don't know what's coming next, when it happens, we see the threads that took us there. And we also see the inherent conflict that it creates. Um, and, and that's, that's always been a very interesting thing to follow. Um, what are, what in your guys' opinions is a good example, if you can think of one of a chaotic villain, um, that still makes sense in context. Hmm. Like just chaotic evil or just chaotic in nature? Uh, just a chaotic villain, right? Someone where it's not even just about the disrespect or disregard for law, but that is actually like winging it as they go. Oh man! Um, now I'm gonna have to think. Uh, that that's a great question. I, I no, I, can I got th- one. Oh, go go ahead. Go, go ahead, ahead, please. No, you go ahead. Um, so I recently came across the Americanized version of Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Uh, brilliant show. Loved it. And there's a character that starts off as a villain, later on becomes more of an anti-hero. Um, uh, spoilers, spoilers. But um, but what's interesting is that both this character and Dirk Gently have in parallel to each other the same guiding force. Uh, the idea that they believe in the interconnectedness of all things in the universe. And if they just follow uh, one connection, they will find another and then another and then another. And they'll just, if they just follow sort of the guiding force of the universe, is kind of how they refer to it. In fact, the expression they say is, I'm a leaf in the stream of creation. Um, So they're just following the flow of the interconnectedness of the universe. So you have Dirk Gently who claims to be an holistic detective. And then you have uh, Bart, who is a woman who declares that she's an holistic assassin. And she kills a lot of people. But she does so, uh, according to like the audience, for the most part, highly unexpectedly, without any seeming provocation. It, you find out later that the people that she kills, well, first of all, she turns to a guy that she's, kept but not killed for some reason that she can't even explain she just kept him alive um she looks at him and sincerely with like this gruff brooklyn accent she's like i've never killed the wrong person and she says it with all sincerity and then you find out later on in the show these people that she's killed that you've had a chance to witness um she didn't know why they needed to die she just knew it needed to happen and then later on it's revealed why they lost their right to life like the the heinous person they are or the fact that they were about to kill her and her friend or Dirk gently and you know things like that right and so she does not know why she does what she does she just follows the flow so it's not really her control in that way she appears to be chaotic and she doesn't even know why she does it so mm. i think that i but now now i realize that's kind of a contradiction it means that she's being guided by some force that has rules or that has direction and purpose but the point is she doesn't she just does what the universe tells her to do well see and this is precisely why i have so much problem with the chaos tag as has been traditionally defined because chaotic in the sense that it is presented as a role-playing mechanism does not mean without reason and yes. players who do things without reason 
wreck every campaign, uh, every they're the single story. Yeah. The fitting nonsense. Um, exactly. But it's even, it's even beyond that because they are often intentionally trying to derail things because it's a spur of the moment, whatever. Mm-hmm. There are many, many instances of excellent players, excellent characters, both within games and outside of games where they do things that exist outside of the realm of what is considered a societal norm or a law or a regulation, but there is always a motivation and there is always a core belief behind it. And I'm getting a little ahead because I know Dan's got something too. Yeah, so the character that comes to mind, I I was thinking, I'm like, oh, really? But then it just like popped into my head. Galvatron, post uh, the animated movie, you know, he is so chaotic that he, he he he's just bumbling through things, randomly does stuff. That's you know, there's several points in season three and four where he's attacking the Autobots, and he suddenly turns on his own men and starts blasting them. He is like, to me, the epitome of chaotic, just because mm-hmm. it he's just insane. I mean, you know, he was Megatron reformatted by Unicron, and then. His psyche breaks because Unicron dies and he's technically dead, but not. I don't know if we consider him a robot zombie, whatever. But he's he's just not there. You know, there's a there's a few bricks missing from that house. Um, but he just there are moments of clarity that he does have, but then there is mo- tons of moments of chaos where he just. His plans aren't fully put through. He's screaming and yelling at his followers. They don't listen. He shoots them. He just doesn't care. So what's um, the thing? What's the thing that makes him a good villain in your mind? Then the, Galvatron is a good villain. He's unpredictable. You know, you don't know what he's going to do. Uh, he's definitely a good foil for Rodimus Prime. I mean, I enjoy Rodimus Prime, but he's definitely not Optimus. I, I will get that. You know. Uh, Rodimus is full of self-doubt. He's constantly doubting if he is a strong enough leader because he's not Optimus. Uh, you see that throughout the entire length of season three and four, and he's constantly like, man, I just, I don't know. I don't know if I'm, I'm a good leader. He's constantly questioning himself. And then in the episode where Optimus comes back, it's like he takes the matrix of leadership and gives it back to Optimus and says, take this from me. I, 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 I'm not doing the job right. I'm not as good as you. You know, and Optimus is like, no. Even I struggled at first. You'll learn. Um, so you have this bumbling, struggling leader, and then you have this leader that's so chaotic that he's messing up just as bad, but uh, on the complete opposite spectrum, um, which is, in a way trying to bolster the character that's doubting himself because he has to go fight this purely chaotic thing. He has to start building and trusting within his himself. So mm-hmm. I think that's why he's a good villain. So now I've been sitting here listening to what you say, and, and I've been thinking, I've been going through like a catalog of villains, and and the more we talk about it and the more I think about it, I don't know if I can come up with a truly chaotic villain because there's it's that whole thin line between genius and insanity, but not, and, and, but it's not just that it's, you know, um, what you and I consider chaos. 
or what you and I consider yeah. that that's true. But like you said, well, he's unpredictable. Well, I think I, I got my brain started thinking on that. All the all unpredictable means is that someone is behaving outside of an established rule set. Yep. Or or outside of the norm. And because it's outside of the norm and we live by the norm, we don't know what the next move is. Mm-hmm. Um, even you know, e- even in the real world, if I can touch on this just briefly, not get too political about it, but you know, um, when you have uh, Western culture, that's us, uh, fighting the Middle Eastern culture uh, and and uh, a very specific subset where you have an enemy that does not obey the same rules of engagement, then it becomes decidedly more difficult to win because they're willing to take actions we are not willing to take. Yeah. Um, and and whenever whenever we have examples of soldiers on our side that step over those lines, immediately it becomes a, a new mission to get those soldiers out of the field of, of of engagement and prosecute them according to law because because we have that rule set, we have that sanctity of law, and um, and villains, uh, the ones that we love. Uh, or even the ones that we hate either way, they, they, they're, we consider them unpredictable because they're not fighting by the same rule set. In fact, they have no regard for that rule set, but that doesn't mean that they don't have rules. And it doesn't mean that they don't have purpose or linear trajectory. Even uh, I, my favorite thing, if you can't tell, I love the Dark Knight film by Christopher Nolan because I think the writing in that film and the portrayal of the characters by the various actors was so perfect. Like the combination was so perfect. Um, There's this guy on YouTube, I forget his name right now, but he did this wonderful analytical piece on all of the Joker's movements throughout the movie. And by movements, I mean like the decisions he makes, the things that he says, the way that he looks at people, the way that he does uh, his makeup, all that. And everything is calculated to appear as though it's not calculated. Right. Mm. Even it's become a famous meme now, but I remember being in the theater and thinking the exact same thing or at least noticing the exact same thing where he's talking to Harvey Dent and he's trying to get Harvey Dent to like flip. He's trying to get Harvey Dent to snap. And, you know, the Joker's dressed as the nurse and he has the revolver that he's put in Harvey's hand and he puts it against his own head. And he's talking to Harvey about about justice and and fairness and all that stuff. But the whole time he's talking, he has his finger on the back strap of the hammer for the revolver. So if things go south and the trigger gets pulled, there's no way that gun can fire because the hammer's being held down. But it looks to Harvey as if he has the choice. It's the illusion of choice. Mm-hmm. Joker is always in control. He's just behaving in a way that's outside the orthodox rule set. So we don't know how to predict his movements because he's willing to do things we're not willing to do. But he is still guided by a purpose and his own rules. So is he chaotic? And now I'm philosophically arguing, no. <laughs> I know, don't believe. No, I don't this believe, is perfect. Yeah, perfect I don't believe any good villain. thing I wanted is, to ask. You know, uh, uh, the perfect villain is someone that believes that they are in the right, that their mission, oh. their goal is they're, they're the hero of their story. Serenity, serenity. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, this, that led perfectly into that. So, you know, some of the greatest villains, uh, real or in story comic book are those that believe that they are on the mission, that they are doing what is right to save the world or whatever, you know, um, you know, without being 
you know, I, you know, I know people are going to hate this, but you know, Hitler believed he was doing the right thing. You know, uh, had he won the war, I'm pretty sure everyone would say he was a he was a hero. Thankfully, he did. The victors write history, right? Yeah, you know, thankfully he didn't. But he believed with every fiber of his being that he was doing the right thing. The Joker believes with every fiber of his being that he is doing the right thing to prove that Batman really is the insane one. That he should not be the savior of Gotham. And he's really crazy. Um, And he's just as crazy as he is. Uh, You know, Darth Vader even has his own goal and motivations and believes that he is right. You know, he wanted to save Padme with everything and then he wanted to save the Republic and he didn't believe he could do that. Well, and it may, it may even be a step of, you know, a step removed from what is right, but definitely what is necessary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I'm doing the, the thing that I have to do, yeah. whether that's from a sense of self justice or self righteousness, or whether it's just because this is the only option I have left. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that also adds a very interesting character dynamic to a lot of villains. Um, Darth Vader, you know, Anakin Skywalker becoming Darth Vader being an excellent example of this where, you know, for the most part, he, he was pretty much in line with the Jedi way for a lot of yeah. things. But when it became in his mind, apparent that there was no way that he could prevent Padme's death, following that rule set it was immediately put aside yeah um but the fact that he was ultimately able to be redeemed means that there was some part of him that always believed it was a little wrong it was Mm -hmm. just what was necessary to be able to in his mind do the most good save the most people right the wrongs of the oppressed whatever that is right yeah you know and he he was broken he lost every everything that mattered to him he lost and so what do people normally do when they lose everything? They turn inward. They, they get depressed. They get angry. And, you know, and in the Star Wars universe, you feed on that, and it becomes something. And he, he was just a destroyed person. But then he finds out he has a child. And then what happens? That glimmer of hope starts coming back. Wow, I haven't lost everything. Mm-hmm. I can't be redeemed because I keep, you know, I've done too much, but there's still that spark. And then as Luke continues to tell them, I know, I know you can be the person you are. I know that spark gets bigger and bigger until finally he does do the right thing. I, and I think that, that, that was a good counterpoint for him. And, you know, I wonder, I, I do have to wonder, what if Batman stopped pummeling the crap out of the Joker and actually t- had a conversation with him, started talking to him, you know, uh, would would they be best of friends and you know because we have seen where uh, you know in crisis on infinite earth we've seen a different joker that is actually a good guy that is a friend to lex luther and goes so far as sacrifices his own self it's technically the same person just different experiences could that have happened you know if batman had just stopped to talk to him instead of pummeling him you know we know the origins uh, from the killing joke that he was the red hood and he accidentally got knocked in what had happened if batman had actually saved him instead of him falling into the acid hmm. you know those what if stories are always amazing uh, you know because 
what would have happened? Granted, we can't do that, but... We we talked about this several episodes ago when um, we got really honest with each other and we said, you know, the difference between being a hero and a villain is just one choice. Yeah, it is. It's you're one choice away from being the villain. And and again, in The Dark Knight, uh, Harvey Dent it makes that now famous quote, you either die a hero or live long enough to become the villain. And yeah. it's that it's that notion of eventually you'll be faced with a choice that uh, because of circumstances leading up to that point, you will feel at the very least that you have no better choice than to do the villainous thing. Mm-hmm. I, I was riding in the car with uh, a good friend of mine, and just to kind of give you context, like uh, we go to church together, and he's part of the church leadership, and he's just the sweetest, kindest human being. Why why he chooses to be my friend surprises me some days, but um, he's just like the kindest, purest human being. And we were talking about The Last of Us and The Last of Us 2, uh, which he hasn't played, but I, I tell him about it. I gush about it. And um, he he posed the question. He was like, well, if you were in that circumstance, if you were in the apocalypse like that, like what would you would you still fight if you were there like on day zero? and stuff, Would you still fight or, you know, because we were talking about um, these people that are in the apocalypse in the game. It occurred to me, I'm like, why are they even fighting anymore? Like, why are they trying to survive? What's the purpose of fighting when the world is that lost? Uh, and. Uh, but yet when you pick up the controller, that's all you want to do. You want to win. You want to survive. Uh, and he said, if that were a real situation, do you, you know, what what kind of person do you think you'd be? And I turned to him and I immediately said, oh, I'd be a killer. Like immediately without hesitation. Because for me, it's about protecting my children. Mm-hmm. It's about protecting my wife. It's about stopping um, harm and danger and evil happening upon them and the things that could happen to them. So what am I willing to do to protect them? I will straight end someone's life. And I said it very sincerely in the moment. I fortunately have never had to face that choice in real life, mind you. So it's all very hypothetical. But I at least have that conviction that I would be willing to end the life of others to protect what matters to me. Yeah. Then – and. And and just uh, to put the cherry on top, and without any spoilers, mind you, um, The Last of Us 2 deals, frankly, with that dichotomy. Uh, just because you're the hero of your own story, does that mean you're always the hero, or are you the villain in someone else's? Yeah. Have I talked to you guys about the clock method that I use with my players when I do RPGs? No. Uh, remind us if you have not. Uh, yeah, so it's it's just really funny because we keep dancing around this and I don't recall whether I've talked about it before or not. But um, when I have players create characters and similarly when I'm creating NPCs that are intended to really impact or interact with the story, I have them establish three things, a motivation, an obligation, and a core belief. And the way that, that I define those things is, is the motivation is the reason that I'm sitting out to do something, right? This is something that over the course of a good story, a long campaign, things like that, these are going to evolve and become more nuanced and may critically change. An obligation follows a similar path, and it, uh, but this is something that's going to be getting in the way of you and your goal. It can be something like, I've got to rescue my little sister, or it could be a crippling drug addiction, or it could be, you know, any number of things. Um, and each of those can, can move and evolve and should move and evolve and change as a character grows. But then I also have a central core belief. 
And the way that I describe this to my players is that this is something that for the purposes of a normal story arc, it won't change. It may become very slightly more nuanced based on the way that your motivation and obligation evolve. Um, But if you level one character, very first starting out, go up against level 200 big bad evil guy with perfect mind control and he's completely inside your head and controlling everything that you do. If this big bad evil guy says the exact opposite of your core belief, you should be able to immediately shake off your mind control. And the reason that I call it the clock method is because the motivation in the core belief can never be in conflict. The obligation in the core belief can never be in conflict, but the motivation and obligation may. And as the motivation and obligation move around that core belief, you create your character arc. Um, and, 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 the reason that I that I bring this up is because this seems very, very relevant to a lot of the things that we're saying about establishing that hero-villain dichotomy and why a redemptive arc or similarly an arc that turns somebody from a hero into a villain is possible. Because that those those core beliefs that we have are extremely difficult, almost impossible to change. Even if the way that we express those beliefs may evolve and change. Um it it is the fundamental thing that sits within us that says, I, I will defend my family. Like it's yeah. just going to happen. And the 99.999% of the time, it's not something that's going to come up or become an issue, but the choices that we make allow us to change that motivation and obligation to determine which side of the line we're on and are we moving towards something that's going to be able to better others and better ourselves or is this something that is strictly a defense of that core belief with disregard to what else is going on or even sometimes outright aggression and hurt towards others and i find that the the villains that i most enjoy have those critical traits And it's what allows them to team up with the good guys sometimes and then be in complete opposition in the next scene. And it's what allows them to grow and evolve and become an increasing threat or an increasing ally. Um, Anyway, I I, I didn't recall whether I'd brought that up before. Um, No, no, that's news. That's fantastic and and amazing. Um, You know, go ahead. The, the other critical villain that I was thinking about as you guys were, were sharing yours is, um, have, have you folks seen Avatar The Last Airbender? Yeah. Of course. Are we talking okay. about Zuko or Fire Lord Ozai? Uh, all all no. three of the Fire of the fire Lord's family. Okay. Uh, actually, all four, um, if we include Zuko's mother as well. So you have uh, Zuko, who Azula. is... Yeah, so, so you, have, you have Zuko, who is um, the exiled crowned prince um who incurred his father's wrath exactly and 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 he starts out very much in the antagonist role yep now my personal belief is that the 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 entire series is actually about zuko but that's a completely different conversation for another time the karate kid (laughs) theory right uh no even even beyond that but uh (laughs) at any rate in, in at the very first episode of season one he is the bad guy he is fighting against our primary protagonists through whose eyes we explore the story. And over the course of the show, his motivation and obligation evolve in a really meaningful way. Um, But we also see it with the other members of his family. Um, Azula, his sister, 
who becomes introduced uh, at the very end of season one, really at the beginning of season two, um, who becomes uh, the next major antagonist, his father, Fire Lord Ozai, um, who is the emperor, the leader of the Fire Nation. And also Mark is... Hamill. And Mark Hamill as well. It's true. <laughs> And and he's been waging war on the entire world because he has this core belief that the Fire Nation is the best nation. And if everybody would just subject themselves to his will, they would be bettered for it. Yeah. Um, and and similarly, we see um, Ursa, uh, uh, Zuko and Azula's mother, who we only see minor glimpses of. But as we learn more of her story, we see the way that her core belief cannot be shaken and it ultimately creates some of the conflict that leads to the character dynamics between the rest of the family. And and it's just such a, such a beautiful deep story to me. Zuko um, is, I hesitate to call him my favorite villain because of the way that he evolves, but the dynamics that allow him to be such a strong antagonist and evolve the way that he does are definitely beautiful. No, I mean, I will agree with you. Um, I don't believe all of Airbender or Avatar last Airbender is Aang's story. I believe it is Aang and Zuko's story because ultimately, you know, uh, in a weird way, Aang is his grandfather, (laughs) uh, from his mother's (laughs) side. Um, and he's, the next fire lord and and those two yeah ang doesn't want to be the avatar he wants to get away from it and you have zuko that just wants his dad's approval and wants to be the next fire lord he wants that approval and they have to learn that you know he has to learn that he doesn't really need that he doesn't need that approval and ang has to learn i have to be this person you know, I have no choice, but I can accept it on my terms. And they both have to accept their life and place on their terms. And when they do that, they, they kind of meet in, this, in, in the middle there. Both characters, you know, they've been, they're butting heads and antagonists against each other. And then they meet in the middle and then they start being friends and they start working. And so much to the point, they defeat the Fire Lord. And then they build wow, this spoilers. amazing nation. If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. It is decades old. <laughs> it is over a decade old. Um, but, you know, they build this amazing civilization. When you go back to Legend of Korra, which is literally only after Aang has died, which isn't that long, they have this amazing civilization that's been created because the two harmoniously work together. You have that yin and yang you know, uh, that has come together and it's a fantastic story. I, I, it is probably in my opinion, one of the greatest storytelling, uh, shows on TV. Truth. If any of you have not seen it, we will not shame you because we understand that on the surface, a lot of people get kind of about it because it's a kid's cartoon, but beautifully written. It it really, really is. And as soon as they find their rhythm, every little story nuance becomes extremely yeah. engaging. And by the time that you get to the end, you feel this beautiful, cathartic release of just watching all of this come together. And 
when Tasha and I started dating, I insisted that she watch it and she was like, eh, eh, kids cartoon show. Right. And she's, she's been raised on story her whole life. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, oh, yeah. and so when I finally convinced her to sit down and watch it and she made it through the first few episodes, all of a sudden that was probably the thing that got her to marry me in all honesty i don't have much else going for me oh baloney yeah you said um, it, you said twice that it's a kid's cartoon and i i realized that it was marketed and targeted toward youth but if i may be so bold as to say it's not a kid's cartoon it, it in terms of storytelling and its structure and purpose it is a far more mature um work of art than that now it, it does appeal to youth of course but it has depth that quote unquote kids cartoons or kids shows just don't have um and and uh it is a remarkable show if you haven't seen it you simply must if yeah. you and then once you do that watch Korra I still say I've said it many times before I'll say it again uh Avatar the Last Airbender moved me emotionally multiple times Korra like had me on the edge of tears almost every single episode and I don't know why but it just it had that power well and and Using this as an example, it's because they built characters that were set up as the villain that you could relate to, that you could understand. I mean, the reason we love Zuko is because we've probably been there where we've wanted that attention from someone, whether it was a dad, a mom, an uncle, a grandfather, a friend, a girlfriend, whatever. We, we, We know what that feels like. We know what that yearning's like. And that's all we wanted. He, you know, he did some really horrible things because one, that's how he was raised to believe, and two, because he wanted his dad's attention, and he figured this was the best way to get it. Mm-hmm. But when he realizes, wow, I've done some crummy things, you know, and Iroh was a beautiful guardian character. Oh, oh. love Uncle Iroh. If you, you guys know? ever want to do an episode just on Iroh, please <laughs> let me know. People out in the universe, email us so that I have permission to just go off. Yeah, I no, will indeed. cry ugly tears. Yeah, Heck he yes. he didn't he didn't push. He didn't force because he realized the father was the pushing force. He was gentle and slow in his wearing down Zuko's defenses and allowing him to trust him and to start hearing him. Wonderful character, wonderful mm. character. And this is a character that did some pretty crummy things himself. And he admits that, and he eventually realizes it. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. The dragon is a very powerful character, <laughs> yeah. but he, he 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 went on that very same journey that he is trying to get Zuko to move through, and eventually gets him to move through. And it's just, yeah. Again, the the pieces were perfectly set for this story, for the right things to happen. And the real villain, you you start feeling like the sister is the real villain until you find out, man, she's just as broken and twisted as Zuko was. And so she's just trying to get dad's attention. You know, she just wants his love as well. And then you finally come to see the Fire Lord, and he's the real villain, you know. But again, his he's the villain because he believes that the, the Fire Lord Nation should be above all else. We don't need the Avatar. We can do it ourselves. We have the supreme power. Yeah, this comet's coming. I'm going to make it happen. Well, and the other thing that that, that, that those dynamic handoffs work so well, and, and, and honestly, this is probably, not probably, it is one of the cores to a good villain, 
is that they have to be set up in perfect balance and opposition to the yes. heroes. And as as Aang grows through the series, the villains that he needs to resist also have to grow with him. Yep. Funnily enough, the line that comes to mind is the darkness rises in the light to meet it, right? Yep. It's it's this idea that like in order for there to be growth, there must be resistance. And in yes. order for there to be a satisfying character arc for a hero, there must also be the appropriate amount of resistance at every step from an appropriate villain. Yes. Absolutely. You know, it, it occurs to me that when we're talking about the greatest books ever written or the greatest movies ever made or the greatest stories ever told, um, you know, there there are so many times in real life that people say, why did this bad thing happen? Or um, those were good people or we're good people and this terrible thing occurred. Um, if, you know, they'll use it to question the divine, they'll use it to question how the universe works, they'll, they'll, all this other stuff. But what's interesting is that, like, if you stop and think and you, and, and you consider every, all the greatest stories I've ever told, there's not one story that starts off, once upon a time there was this person, they were completely good, they had a great day, and the, the end. Right. Like what do we call a story with no conflict and no villain? We call it boring. It's there. If, if when you look at all the different kinds of stories that can be told because they, they get categorized, you know, man versus self and, and, and man versus man and man versus nature and all those things. It, it's always a versus thing. It's always it, it's there's always an obstacle. And it goes back to what you just said, which is you cannot grow without resistance. Right. We don't magically lose weight and get buff by sitting and doing nothing. We have to exercise and we have to fight resistance, right? We have to we have to resist gravity with heavy weighted things until our bodies get stronger and stronger, which Uncle Iroh knew and, and worked out beautifully in prison. Yes. But um, mm. but it, it's because opposition it, your opposition is not a reflection of how bad you are. Your opposition is a reflection of where you need to grow. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. if you had already mastered that obstacle then you wouldn't need to grow in that way you would have already you would have already met that that thing you would have already reached that pinnacle when you're a face with opposition when something bad happens it's not a ref it has nothing to do with how good or bad you are it has to do with how do you need to change how do you need to grow what can what is this resistance pushing back on and what can you strengthen that's what it's but, about yeah i mean this is this is something that uh, a quote that uh, comes to mind uh, before I jump into my other thing, you stop learning. Uh, you stop growing when you stop learning. You know, it, once you master something, you don't. You're not growing anymore. You know, if you learn how to paint a rainbow, there really isn't any other way to paint a rainbow. You know, you you, you can't do it anymore. But you mm -hmm. can learn how to paint a rhinoceros or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, as you were saying that, and we'll jump. Yeah. Alton back real quick but as you were saying that there's a line from the matrix that comes to mind you know when agent smith is talking he's like we built a virtual utopia for you and you couldn't a perfect world. deal with it a perfect world yeah. and you could your your mind's literally broke it, yeah we lost, he said we lost millions of crops because you could not handle utopia he said you wouldn't accept it is what yeah. he said. We built a perfect world, a utopia, and your minds wouldn't accept it. Yeah. It was only when there was conflict that you yep. would stop fighting the system. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's exactly it. You know, 
when we have utopia, we're, we're not learning. We're not progressing. Um, and we need that. That's how we grow. That's how we learn. So I, let's jump back over to Alton. Go, Alton, go. I, I mean, I had I had kind of a platitude come into my head, and I'm, I'm working out the exact wording. So if it doesn't come out right the first time, forgive me. I'll go write it down a million times and come back. But <laughs> resistance is not an adequate measure for failure, but it is an indicator of how you can succeed. Ooh, right? Like the idea that a lot of people say, well, I just... You know, I keep running into the into these walls. I haven't written the book, so that means I'm a failure. I haven't done the dishes. And like as somebody who who deals with really deep physical and mental issues that some days I just cannot get up. I cannot get out of bed. If I was measuring my if I was measuring my failures by the resistance that I encountered, I my life would be strictly a tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I I completely understand. I mean, there I have so many things going on in my life that people don't know about. I mean, a handful do. And I, I, I am constantly asked by people, how do you do it? How do you keep plugging along? Uh, how do you find the energy? I mean, it, it sucks. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on right now, but that doesn't define me. You know, what defines me is all that thing is going on and I'm still finding the strength to write another book, still doing a podcast, still going to work every day, still providing for my family, and still doing the things I need to despite those things. Yeah. And some days that means you just take a shower. Yeah, and, <laughs> and some days. That's, and that's and a some days that means you run the marathon. <laughs> yeah. And there 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 has been days where I'm just like, I, I have no energy. I'm just gonna lay in bed and watch a show. I just don't have the energy. But that's okay because that doesn't mean I failed. That just means, hey, I need to recharge. I need to bolster up. And, you know, we see that with characters all the time. You know, wow, you know, I just, I didn't do it right. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to strategize. I'm going to collect my thoughts. And then I'm going to know where I'm going to go from here. It's, it's only failure when you stop. It's only failure when you completely give up. You know, in, in The Matrix, when, when Agent Smith brings that up to Morpheus and he said, you know, we built you this perfect world and you wouldn't accept it. You, your mind's rejected it. Um, when he said that, it was intended as a slight. It was intended yeah. as an insult against humanity that, that you can't accept perfection. You just, you just can't handle it. That's, and, and they meant it as a, he meant it as a slight. But actually – um, what he was doing was he was identifying one of the most miraculous things about humans and human nature, which is that we are designed to evolve. We are designed to not be complacent. We are designed to grow and to change and to adapt. Uh, we are our, our whole uh, one of the, it depends on, on from which perspective you come. Yes. But one could argue that our entire purpose in this existence um, is to constantly evolve and become more than what we were the day before. Mm -hmm. that, and, and so in, in the movie, the humans wouldn't accept that world because there, our human nature was no longer being met. It, once you have perfection, once you have utopia, that's when everything falls apart. Because yeah. as humans, we can't function that way. We can't. You can watch Wally. -E. Right. And Wally does something very similar where 
people don't have to move anymore on their own. They don't have to feed themselves anymore. They don't have to make choices that are hard anymore. You know, and what what happens? They become motionless blobs. Yeah. Um, we need, we need, we need conflict, resistance, and challenge all the time. And some days, some days the challenge that we face is getting out of bed. And yeah. other days the challenge we face is fixing uh, a a critical problem in our life. Um, and and most days it's something in between. And that brings us back to the core of our concept tonight, which is why do we love villains? Because if we only had heroes, then life would be incomplete. In fact, without villains, we can't have heroes. Yeah. So yeah. villains give us heroes and purpose. And we love that about them. They do all the things that sometimes we wish we could do, or they speak to our darker side that we often keep caged, but they remind us, they remind us why we choose to do good instead of evil. Yeah. And yeah. And, and that, that's why we love villains so much. Well, it's that, it's that teetering board of balance, you know, it's, it's going back and forth, you know, the good, the bad, but we're not dipping all the way in. We enjoy kind of dipping in and out, you know, and I can't remember uh, – I, I know this happened. I can't remember if it was in a comic book or a cartoon episode, but there's an episode where the Joker believes he has killed Batman, and he just goes into a complete depression like, mm -hmm. what now? I have nothing left. I have no reason to live. I mean he's just moping and ready to kill himself, and I remember Harley like, come on, put no, no, no. But it, it, that's it. There's nothing left for him. All excitement for life is gone because he's achieved that goal that he's always wanted to, and it's over now. Um, so we have to have that foil. We have to have that counterbalance um, when it comes to, to heroes and villains. We love our villains because they make our, our heroes shine that much more. We love our villains because they do things we can't. And it's like, wow, okay. I've always wondered what that's like to do, but hey, I can I can experience this through you. Um, we love our villains because there is a darkness about them that is scary, but at the same time appealing. You know, people love vampires. Vampires are just pure evil and darkness, but some of those vampires have a appeal to them. They're handsome, they're attractive. They look like normal people that we'd maybe be attracted to. So, but why are we so attracted to that? Because we know they're evil. They they suck the life out of you, but we villains, still them. villains expose our humanity and show us why we fight against it or why we improve that part of ourselves. All right. I love that you beautiful. That's what I was trying to pull out. So <laughs> uh, you know, it's 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 that it it is that it. Uh, wow, I'm getting tongue-tied because this is so amazing. This is hit on every spot I wanted it to hit. But <laughs> villains, you know, as much crap as villains get, whether it's a, it's kind of a cheesy uh, villain like the Condiment King, um, there is a purpose for every villain. <laughs> you chair know? face. Yes, chair face. Uh, Two-face even. I mean, we get to see the strict black and white of a villain. Um, and how that how that works, we get to see the silliness of some of Spider-Man's villains, but they all work in that universe, and they all work in the moment that they're needed. And 
it's just fantastic that we have those characters to be able to make our heroes look better and for us to be able to re- re- take a piece of our own humanity, re- relate to that, or see why we don't want to do that and make us a better person in the end. Because that's really what these stories do. They help us be better people. Love it. Yeah. So, we're done. That's it. Man, there wasn't enough time. There really there wasn't, wasn't enough time. You know, um, I know but you the mentioned... Good news is, yes. The good news is there will be more next week. There's so always you know where more. to find us. Yes, there's always more. If you haven't listened to... I mean, there's there's a back catalog. There are so many episodes of Dungeon Crawlers. If you are new to the the show, there is there's lots of listening material. Um, but if there are certain topics you want us to talk about, email us at info at dungeoncrawlersradio.com or go to dungeoncrawlersradio.com, click on contact us, send us an email, let us know the topics you would love to hear because we would love to talk about something you want to hear. Um, we do our best to pick things. There's some cool stuff that I would love to talk about. And I'm sure there are things that other individuals would love to talk about. I know mm-hmm. we will be mm-hmm. talking about the movie Kroll very shortly. So soon. Uh, we'll be bringing back author Michael Haspel to, yes. to talk to us about that. Um, I do know uh, R.A. Salvatore will be coming on the show very soon. We'll be talking to him about his new Dritz book that comes out at the end of uh, this month. As well as talk about his uh, other books he's written in the world of Corona, his his world that he has created. Um, so I'm super excited about that. Uh, we've got some other potential authors that are coming on, and we'll, as always, we'll be talking about you know pop culture stuff, gaming, and you know just maybe we we may record um, one of our gaming sessions for you to watch. Oh, uh, yes. Because that will be lots of fun and chaoticness, especially if we get Scott to play. Um, and then oh, we that'd dang- be so good. And then we dangle him out of building or something. Uh, Scott doesn't <laughs> like that uh, for some reason. But um, I, I feel like I'm rambling now, but I know I'm not. Just simply said, we love having you listen to the show. We love doing the show. Uh, we definitely want to hear from you. Continue listening. We have some great stuff on the way. And we know... There are no conventions going on pretty much this year, uh, thanks to Corona, but that's okay. We will still be here. We'll be still bringing you content, and we want to bring something to you that you'll like. So let us know those things. Uh, In the meantime, we'll keep uh, coming up with random ideas and thoughts and shows for you, but if we don't hit your funny bone, send us something so we can. And with that said, we're out of here. And crawlers... Tell your story, whatever may come. And always remember, Internet, to be epic. Don't suck. Remember, the Force will be with you. Always.